When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. Translation is a mysterious process that combines the elements of writing, rhythm and voice, meaning, structure, and nuance, with the challenge of problem solving. The American writer and French translator Harry Matthews once reflected, translation is the paradigm, the exemplar of all writing, since it demonstrates most vividly the yearning for transformation that underlies every act involving speech. Welcome to the Van Leer Institute series on ideas. I'm Renee Garfinkel, your host, and I'm honored to have Anna Birkenhauer Molad with me today to talk about the art of translation. Anna has translated some of the best known Hebrew literary works, both prose and poetry, into her native German. Among the authors whose works she's translated are David Grossman, Aaron Appelfeld, Chaim Be'er, Yoel Hoffman, and Yehuda Amichai. She's an award-winning translator as well as a teacher of literary translation. In 2018, Anna was awarded the German Medal of Honor by the President of Germany for her contribution to cultural relations between Germany and Israel. Anna Berkenhauer Molad, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Rene, for having me. <laughs> you must be very proud of that award, Anna. Tell us how translation <laughs> promotes cultural understanding. Oh, um, well, I think it's a special case when you think about uh, Israel literature being translated into German, because all of the historic burden which is in this relation and in these two cultures. And uh, um, I think German public, German literature, uh, after, the, after World War II, made a very important decision to have half of their literature, which... Uh, which half of the literature which is published in Germany is translated from other languages. Uh, this is a very rare thing. Mo mostly American literature has a much lower percentage of um, literature translated into American English. So this was, of course, the reaction to the war and to the, to the Nazi time and the closing of, the, of German culture. But it stayed and it's... It, until today, perhaps now it's 48% or so. So there is a huge interest in the, in the establishment of the culture to bring other cultures in. And uh, Hebrew culture, the, the motives are changing, but um, a good example would be, let's say, David Grossman's big novel, um, um, how is it called in English now? Until the End, something like this. Um, well, tell us what, it, what it's about. <laughs> well, uh, uh, it, the big novel which he wrote while his son was in uh, in the army, and then his son Uri fell 
in the war. Uh, and it is very, very, very Israeli. And in a way, it was the first time that, and it's now 15, 16 year ago, years ago that it was published. And this was, uh, and it was very, very well re recepted over the years, even it is really hard to read it emotionally. Uh, but it was the first time that a German audience would be confronted with this paradox Israel is people in Israel are living in, which is this very strong vividness and the awareness of death um, all the time. And uh, to get into these characters, which Grossman very much knows to very fine knows how to, to build them, to get into the the the, the soul of a mother who is uh, has to send her child to be a soldier and uh, probably to war is a very very um, and a, a woman who doesn't like war and who is even a little bit critical about political developments here to to, to enable the the public of another country which doesn't know what war is after World War II <laughs> uh, to get into these details of the soul and is something which I think was really the strongest thing Grossman could do for for Israel um, as a like as an as an ambassador, just explaining the 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 uh, complexity of of the life here, and this in the middle of and and this is besides this it's a huge huge piece of literature because you don't feel that he tries to explain you something it's just a wonderful strong novel so i and think I, i'm these, yeah yeah please continue sorry i didn't mean to interrupt go ahead <laughs> no these uh, um i think this is what translation does it really enables you to to enter worlds which you never knew before and which you don't get from from newspapers or so. Of course, I speak about the translation of literature. Right, and the the translation. Well, first of all, a novel in itself gets you into gets the reader into a world that they didn't know before they read it. But the challenge of translating a novel to me seems overwhelming. You're actually writing a new novel while at the same time retaining all the layers of meaning and intention of the original. Let's talk about you for a second. What attracted you to the art and the craft of translation? How did you get into the field? Um, <coughs> excuse me. I got into the field in a very funny way. I was here. I came from Germany. I was here in, uh, I learned Hebrew in, in Hebrew classes in Ulpanim. And uh, we came around reading poetry from uh, Dan Pagis, who is a, is, was an Israeli poet born in 1930 in Bukovina. And he wrote great poetry. He is not as famous as Yuda Amichai, uh, but he's a huge poet. And I read and read the same poems and again, and I read them for weeks, and I made my friends reading them because I wanted to hear them in their Hebrew, and I wanted to just stay with it 
and my friends got crazy because all the time I started talking about Dan Pagis and I learned them by heart, but it wasn't, I felt I have to do something more. I want to get closer to it. And then I, I came up with this idea of translating them into German and giving them, giving them my own language. So this in a way is the paradigm that, uh, that I'm working, that it's it's really taking the text into myself and giving it and to let it give his echoes in it is a very in a way I'm a performer, I'm like a musician. I'm a performer of of the notes of the text, but in another language. So that's a that's the, a very mm-hmm. interesting uh, comparison. While I was preparing for this conversation, uh, I read a translator writer who used exactly that analogy. She said it was like an actor. Uh, an actor is is using the words of the writer, but making it making the character their own. And so that's that's how you do. But at the same time. Uh, that uh, the words and the attachment to the words, uh, especially if it's so emotional as the novel you mentioned about sending one's son to war, uh, it it must be um, very personal for the original writers. I imagine, and then maybe this is just my imagination, that they're very sensitive about how their work is presented, uh, it, it takes us into the dynamic of the relationship between the author and the translator. How does it work, and what do you do when you disagree? Uh, talk about that for <laughs> us. <clears throat> uh, it's wonderful living in the country where your authors do live. I mean, normally a translator should live in his mother tongue because this has to be refreshed every day a hundred times. But uh, once you live in the country and where your authors are, you can talk to them. And most of Israeli authors are very, very positive and are very helpful and like us to ask them questions. So it's a very, very good communication um, and easy. And uh, there are but there are differences in culture. So, for example, one of the differences in culture between Israeli culture and German culture is where goes the, where is the line of what is what you call kitsch, and <laughs> what is beyond, like what is unbearable already. So, in in Hebrew, you can say things which sound in German so much too sweet and in a way false and not real uh, kitschy and uh, uh, and David sometimes writes such things which in Hebrew are perfectly okay so we had a big discussion about where goes the border and he said I want to be also in Hebrew very close to it but I don't want to pass the border to kitsch I want to be as emotional in these passages as one can bear, but don't cross the border. And so I, I I showed him where I had to go back a little bit and leave out one or two uh, um, words 
or change the syntax or something so that it might that it won't cross the border in German. And we had a seminar about this. We had a, the Grossman translators meet on every new book uh, with him for a week, like everybody already translated the whole book. And then we meet with him for a week and we go through all the questions we have. And this is a wonderful privilege. And uh, we learned so much also from the other languages. And then I said, or Grossman even opened and said, you know, in this passage, he says to all our colleagues, Anna wants to cut out these uh, four words. And the Spanish translators start shouting, no, this is the best thing of the sentence. And the French one also says like this. And uh, and I thought, oh, now they, you know, you see, they look at me as to the, the cold-hearted German <laughs> translator. <laughs> and uh, everybody like was getting into this, no, no, don't do it. But then in the end, my Dutch colleague said, well, you see, also in Dutch, it is kitschy. <laughs> so there is a sort of border. Uh, there is something which really in ev every translator has to do in his own language. And um, it doesn't really happy that it doesn't really happen that we uh, that we disagree. We we talk until we agree. Um, because I mean, I I want to be. I'm the servant of my writer, and I want to give him the best possible voice I can produce for his voice in in my language. So there shouldn't be these tensions. But in fact, it happened with another author. It happened with Aaron Appelfeld that we came to a point of disagreement uh, where I did what he wanted, but then. Two books later, I decided to stop translating him because I felt it it doesn't it doesn't fit anymore. So these things also can happen. <laughs> sure, and, and uh, that must be quite a week to be sitting in that seminar with all the translators. I would love to be a fly on the wall in that meeting. Yeah. Now you you spoke about um, emotional language. Um, uh, an, another thing that's a very would be very challenging would be humor. Uh, as an American, I often don't really get even English humor, so uh, that's that's close. Uh, you translated what's called in English "A Horse Walks into a Bar," which is a very intense novel about the life of an Israeli stand-up comic. It takes place around one night's performance which would seem to be extremely culture-bound. So what was it like to translate the humor in that tragic story from Hebrew and an Israeli cultural context to the very different language and culture of German? That was really, I think, the hardest to translate book of Grossman I ever did. <laughs> and it was so hard because, as you said, it is very, very culture-bound. And... Uh, and the humor is so different, like what a co stand-up comedian is doing in Germany. I made a whole research about that in order to translate it, and it is all different. They don't talk with one person in the public, and all this. Uh, and in 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 the host comes into a into a bar. Uh, it is full of dialogues of the comedian with the people. So I had to decide whether he will. You know, in German we have not. We don't say you to everybody. We have a, a, um, 
like same eye level, which is a do, which is uh, uh, you say with people you are closer to, and we have something with with, with more honor, which you say to somebody elder or in an in a higher position, which is Z. And I had to decide what is which so, which level of language I want to in, engage in in this. So this was one big problem, and the problem with the um, with the everyday life where it is seated, which is all Israeli. So you know the, the novel the novel starts that the the comedian comes on the to the stage and says good evening, good evening, Caesarea, and Caesarea. But now. Every Israeli knows Caesarea is there is a big um, amphitheater, and the biggest artists, musicians have their concerts there. It's a place everybody wants to go with thousands of guests and only famous artists. So it is like as if he's standing in Caesarea, but half a page later he understands that he is in Netanya in a sort of backyard stage in a very, very bad place. So all this joke, I mean, a German or another country's reader is not supposed to know that Caesarea is the amphitheater in Israel. So what can you do with this? And and, and as the the book takes the whole evening, like you read the book and the evening is over, you have no place to, to explain anything. It's not like in a novel where you can put in a remark a few a few pages before or afterwards, and you know you can make up for for information and 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 put it in in a way. So uh, that was a big problem how to do it. And what I did in the end is uh, that because I couldn't explain, so. In German, like he says, uh, a wonderful evening, a wonderful evening, Caesarea, in this wonderful temple of muses. Yeah, which in a way in lifts gives the association of it's a, it's a it's a huge and a big and a wonderful place. And then Netanya is where it really is is really this backstage here already. He puts in the words and he de- depicts the place and and the reader knows. Yeah, so you. Y- this was a way where I could do it. Sometimes you can't do it, but sometimes also you gain something in translation, and suddenly there is a you there is a play of words which comes to me in German, which I can make. Even Grossman didn't make it, but it's in his way of thinking, so I put it in. Well, <laughs> even it's not written s- there. And <laughs> speaking of uh, things that you can put in in German. Uh, you must. Uh, you you haven't lived in Germany for a long time, and language evolves. So, how do you stay up to date with changes in language, in slang, e- even in the issue of when you use the familiar uh, "do" and when you when you use the formal? That might change also with time. How do you keep up to date with changes in 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 German in the language to which you're translating? It is much reading, but it is even more today as you can get everything over the internet. It is much easier than it was 20 years ago when I really uh, had to read much more in order to have German in my ear. So it's 
of course, I, I also I write down when I and when I hear new words or new grammar uses or something like this. I do this all the time. I, I note, I make a note, and I research them a little bit. But in this book of David Grossman, I felt it wasn't enough. I read it. I had it translated. It was all done, and I felt it's not yet good enough. And then I asked for help, <laughs> and I asked a translator who doesn't know Hebrew at all. She's a translator, Pike Biermann, sitting in Berlin, and she translates English and Italian literature to, literature to German. And she's a friend of mine, and I explained to her the whole character of this uh, Dovele, of this comedian, and why, why his language is so brutal and rude, which is all, in a way, a camouflage to his very gentle and wounded soul. And... I told her, would you read a few pages and see whether it's it's okay in German? Because Pike is famous for knowing all sorts of German slangs and knowing how to do them. So she read it and she said, I can't explain you what is wrong, but I will just correct a few pages and then you will learn from it. And uh, it is very small things in in grammar. Sometimes it is just a word which didn't come up to me. And then we asked the publisher that she should be my editor in, instead of an editor who also doesn't know this, who doesn't have this register of rude language, which also has to be able to express something very gentle. So in the end, she was my editor and she just took my manuscript and, edit, and entered in another color her ideas or other formulations. And then I had to redo it, the whole thing. And to to decide what I can take from her from her and what not, and I think this was really this was the most important step in this translation was getting her her into the boat, and knowing here are my borders, um, I with my as we said it's a personal. I'm the performer, but there are things in my world which which I never which never happened to me. There are so there are worlds of. Um, feelings which I don't really have, so it's very—it's not easy to express them. I can translate them, but I can't express them originally in a in the best possible way. So that's that was wonderful that she joined in and uh, helped me with that, and it really turned out a very very good book. <laughs> That's the first time yeah. I've ever heard that knowledge of rude language was a oh, job at this is, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <coughs> yeah. But but that that mm-hmm. that story illustrates that it's really an art. Now you've done a great deal of teaching, both in universities and in seminars for literary translators. How do you go about teaching this art? I think. I mean, there is a big discussion whether you can teach art. <laughs> and I think what you can teach is reading, reading very, very carefully, and not only reading and getting impressed from the writer you are translating, but to change your perspective and to ask, how is this text, how was this text done? Because a, a liter- piece of literature doesn't fall from 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 heaven it is something a person worked on very strongly and the author decided where to put which word and which word to choose and so on and if we if you start 
thinking like, how did he do this? Then you can learn from him that perhaps you might be able to do it in your language with very similar tools which he's using. This sounds a little bit abstract, but it is the whole thing is, first of all, is getting people into a precise reading uh, and understanding. And in fact, you before you ask me about how I work with my writers, very often I ask them, why do you use this formulation? Because in my feeling, it goes against them, against what they they are doing in the novel. Like it brings up an, an, an atmosphere which doesn't fit here. And then when I ask them, we see or that in, this is only in German and in Hebrew it's absolutely correct to write like this. Or sometimes also the author wasn't aware of this and says, okay, we will even cha change it in the, in the Hebrew in the next edition, which happened with Gossman's first book in many times, that when they did the reprint, uh, they asked him, how, are, how far are you with your new translation translator? How, are, how far are you with your German translator? And then we made, he put in the changes in the next uh, five chapters or so. <laughs> Very small changes, but, but as the text is done of endless details, it is also very important for the writer to have them write. And, and sometimes only the translator who gets the whole thing ready and doesn't know what it was before, suddenly you see that there are things which, uh, which are not at their best. <laughs> So, oh, so that's that so. That, so there's a feedback loop. It, it, it or or maybe Grossman is unique in this, but uh, uh, yeah, you you read so closely that you read it well. You read it better than the writer wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I I you know the thing is, I only read the final product. The writer wrote this for years and he had thousand versions in his head and he doesn't remember all details after 500 pages. So it's very much easier for me and even it's easier for me than for his editor because an editor edits an, a novel, I don't know in how many months, but uh, in much shorter time than I do. I really get in all the details and I remember, I remember on page 357 what happened on page 17 and whether there is something which doesn't you know where i don't understand why why there is a change right. so how how um, long does it actually take for you to uh, to translate a novel of course novels are of different length but on the whole how long are you with a project normally 9 months yeah. yeah. It's it's really it's it's like a pregnancy. It's a yeah. big <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Well, mm -hmm. finally Anna as you mentioned, it's not uncommon for book reviewers to comment that a translation is a better book than the original. Do you think uh, translators are given enough credit for their art and their craft? And has no. it has the situation changed much since you began the, working as a translator? Yes, the situation is getting better. Like, at least uh, in book reviews, 
now they do write about translation sometimes and uh, uh, no of course the, the 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 situation has changed the situation still in terms of uh, what we get paid is very very bad because we get much paid much less than a translator of if you if i would translate for an advocate or so i would get much more or or, or for industry i would paid would get paid much much better than when i'm doing art when i'm doing literature so this there is a big problem and the good thing is that there are all sorts of uh, at least in the german uh, uh, but in in most of the countries that there are funds who uh, support quality like good quality translators so uh, this makes up a little bit for that but i think we are really the cheapest uh, thing in the <laughs> in the production of books uh, the, the the cheapest expense is the one for the translators this is how it looks to me it's uh, it's why a shame do you but think that is why why do you think uh, translation translators are under underpaid underrecognized <laughs> first of all because many people really don't know what it is and now with artificial intelligence you know even books are getting translated by whole books get translated by now from by artificial intelligence and then you have an editor who goes over it and checks that there are not too big uh, uh, faults in it but um i think it is very important to to speak about translation it much more publicly and to explain what is what is our work and how much we get how much we invest from our very personal life experience and so into an uh into a translation and how many versions we do and how many research we have to do about every everything so yes we i try I, to do it yeah i i agree that translation should be understood because it it actually there's something uh magical and uncanny about it to me to see that especially if it's two languages that i sort of know to see that somebody really translated it and kept the emotional impact the the nuances of character it's it's really quite amazing <laughs> you know there is not. something because you used the 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 wonderful word uncanny um <clears throat> I very much like to write an afterword of the translator to every book which I translate. And there I do explain a little bit in order so that the uncanny becomes more um more uh, more visible that to 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 spill some light on the this uncanny process uh for the reader of the translation. Great. Do more of that. <laughs> Anna, yeah. thank you so much for all your good work and for taking the time to talk with me today. Thank you, Renee, for having me. <laughs> and Wonderful. thanks to our researcher, Bela Pasikov. Bye-bye. <laughs>